So if you're here for the first time at Windsor Road, we're just so happy to get the opportunity to, um, to worship together with you before our great God. And in the church year here at Windsor Road, we're entering a season called Advent. And Advent is a word that means visitation. This mysterious biblical truth that God the Son put on flesh visiting this world. Advent. It's about longing for hope and looking to God for the peace that only He can give. And there are five candles in the Advent wreath and the four outside candles represent hope, peace, love, and joy. And all orbit the fifth candle, Christ, the center of it all, who holds all things by the word of his power. So each week, we will light an additional candle, and on our Christmas Eve services, we will light the Christ candle. Advent. Visitation. More than just the coming of Christ at Bethlehem, though, it means something else. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But for now, I would like for us to take our Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 15, one of our Advent readings. And I want us to look at verse 1, and you can meet me on page 57 of your church Bibles there. Earlier we heard from Exodus 15, verse 1, and I would just like for us to say it together as a congregation. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Exodus 15, 1. Take a look at that verse. I wonder what you think the most important word is in that verse. Just think to yourself. If you had to choose of all the words, which do you believe would be the most important word in that verse? For me, it's the word then. Didn't think I'd say that, did you? Then. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang. Then. I believe it's the key word in that verse, and here's why. Then signals a sequence of time. Then means that something has been triggered which guarantees something else. Then says that something prior occurred that makes mandatory what is about to occur. Then means that if what had happened before had not happened, what is about to happen next would have never happened. But it did then. Then Moses and Israel sang. Exodus 14, then Exodus 15. We're talking about the miracle at the Red Sea. And if you would like a one-verse summary of Exodus 14, 
please direct your eyes to Exodus 15, verse 19. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. In Exodus 14, God told Israel, fear not, stand firm, be still. In Exodus 14, the Lord said, I will fight for you. In Exodus 14, Israel saw the great power of the Lord against the Egyptians. And on that day, the people feared and believed the Lord. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Oh, church family, if there's anything to keep straight about our faith, it's this. Christianity rests on a definitive then. God wins, then we sing. That's the big idea. God wins, then we sing. God wins, then we worship. God wins, then we serve. God wins, then we love. Then we give. Then we pray. Then we preach. What sermon could possibly interest anyone had God not won? Who'd want to hear it? Who'd want to preach it? They don't gather here so that God, as if we need to strum up enough noise to get his attention. We don't gather so that. We gather because he has. And the reason we meet and the reason we worship and the reason we take missions trips and the reason we love our local community and the reason we have a food pantry and the reason we pack 727 boxes for Operation Christmas Child is not so that, but because he has. And Christianity depends on the definitive then. He wins and we sing. And it's always in that order. Always. Some people think if they sing enough and worship enough and give enough and do enough good, that'll motivate God to do something for us. Like when? But that's not what we see in Exodus 15, is it? That's why I like what one author said about the gospel. The gospel's not a help wanted ad, it's a help available ad. God's not seeking associates. He's not looking for people to work for him. He's working for people, looking for people for whom and through whom he would work mightily. God is not an NFL scout searching for first-round draft picks. He's an unstoppable fullback bulldozing his way to the end zone for whoever will trust him to win the game. God's job is to win games. <laughs> and on that day, Exodus 15 says, God scored big. And he never wins 51 to 49. He never. He never does. He doesn't. You know how God wins? A hundred to nothing. That's God. That is God. That's who we worship. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us. For we need you to show us, find our way. That's not in Exodus 15. Verse 3 says, the Lord's a man of war. 
The Lord is his name. Don't forget my name, God says. I'm a warrior, the warrior God, who flips Pharaoh's chariots, shatters the enemy, consumes them like stubble. Remember the stubble that Israel had to gather to make bricks? Look who's stubble now. And in verses 1 through 5, the declaration about God becomes prayer to God in verses 6 through 18. Your right hand, O Lord, your right hand shatters the enemy. And you know how God did that? He exhaled. Everybody do this. Breathe in. Okay, now breathe out. That's how much effort it took for God to defeat Egypt. You realize how easy it is for God to be God? Us? Not so easy. God? Effortless. It's effortless for our God to be God. He just exhaled. Verse 8, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. And there's no magic incantation. There's no hocus pocus. There's no Harry Potter, no Gandalf, no Narnian deep magic. It's very simple. God exhaled and Pharaoh expired. Any questions? Which makes what Pharaoh said in verse 9 so much like an immature little boy. His pride, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire, my sword, my hand. How many self-references can you cram and do one verse? Pharaoh. Pride goes before the fall. God breathed out and Egypt's army sank like lead. No wonder Moses says in verse 11, Who is like you? Who is like you? Answer, no one. You are the warrior God. He wins, then we sing. And when you think about it, God didn't have to use the sea, did he? If God wanted to, it could have been like Samson. Right? He could have made Israel a nation of Samsons. Samson in the book of Judges. God could have sent his Holy Spirit on his people, and they could have taken jawbones of donkeys and just whacked away. But that's not what happened, does it? No. Why didn't he do it that way? That would have been something to write about. Well... Think about Samson. You look at his mighty feats. There's no version of Exodus 15 after Samson's great feats. N nothing like that. Only these words from Samson. I struck down. <laughs> Samson seemed to forget that God was his strength. Well, there's no confusion in Exodus 15. Verse 2. The Lord is my strong song. 
In other words, he's the reason I sing. The God who inflicted plagues on Egypt's idols is the God who snatched his people from the claws of death is the God who alone triumphs victoriously. Can your God do that? Our God can. The one true God does. And why would he do this? Why would he do this? Verse 13. Your steadfast love. You know why God loves you? Because he loves you. That's why. Listen, we, we totally miss the heart of Exodus 15 if we read these verses as if it's a contest between the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah. Israel's the good guys, Egypt's the bad guys. The pastor's lesson is make sure you're a good guy. That's not the point. It's not. Because the fact of the matter is, as we will see in later chapters of Exodus, the Israelites are no better. They're no better than the Egyptians. So then, then why did God rescue them? Because he loves them. Well, why does he love them? Because he loves them. Exodus 15, 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Your holy abode, that's, God, that's God's home. Meaning, look, God chose us and he wants to be involved in our lives. He wants us to live together with him. And as the nations heard of Egypt's cataclysmic defeat, they thought, we're next. I mean, if, if mighty Egypt melted before this God, I mean, we're next. Philistia, Edom, Canaan. That's why verse 16 says, terror and dread fall upon them. Consumed like stubble, sank like lead, still as a stone. And look in verse 17, there's a double meaning there. As to the Lord bringing his people in and planting them on your own mountain. Which mountain? Well, soon Mount Zion, where God will give his people, whom he has rescued, the gift of his law. So God, listen, God rescues his people and then teaches them how rescued people live by giving them his law. He doesn't say, you be good enough, and then I'll rescue you. No, no, no. No, it's, it's all grace. You, you are rescued, and here's how I want my delivered people to live. Mount Sinai. But ultimately, it will be Mount Zion in the land of promise. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. So Moses and Israel are singing like it's already happened. Like they've, they've already come to Jerusalem and, and the temple. That is faith. And this is Israel's destiny in Exodus 15. Verses 1 through 12, deliverance through water. Verses 13 to 16, guidance through the wilderness. And verses 17 and 18, rest in the land of promise. Would you not want to experience 
true rest under the sovereign care of the God who reigns forever and ever. Verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. It just feels like there's so much anxiety in our culture and in our country now for a superpower. Yet high anxiety, what's going to happen next? Maybe that anxiety stems from putting our rest in the wrong place. Listen, we don't gather here on Sunday to earn extra credit points for fire insurance. We gather to remember that what God did, he did alone. Exodus 15 sings that the Lord is the sole agent of salvation. That is, his win went unassisted. And, and someone might say, well, you, you mean, Randall, we don't do anything? We don't have to work? You know, folks once asked Jesus that question. In John 6, 28 and 29, then they said to him, that is Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So our work is the work of faith. And that's why they marched right through that sea. And I love verse 29 of chapter 14. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. My goodness, what was that like? And what were some of the responses of the Israelites, huh? Oh, I imagine some of them strutted. Strutted right through that Red Sea, huh? Yeah. Yeah, look. God's on our side, yeah. Take that, Pharaoh. You ain't so bad. I'm never scared of you. Yeah. They strutted their way through the other side. Others, a little more nervous. They walked carefully, looking at the wall on the left, the wall on the right. They kept walking. We're going to die. 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 Man. Hey, listen. Who was more saved? Neither. All of them were. All of them were equally saved. And why? Because we are not saved by the quality of our faith, but the object of our faith. We're saved by the one who wins. And 1,500 years later, the angel told Mary, that she was highly favored by grace to give birth to the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. He wins, and Mary sang. Luke 1, my soul magnifies the Lord. And why? Because just as God brought down Pharaoh, he's bringing down the rulers from their thrones. And everybody in Mary's day knew who that ruler was. It was Herod the Great, who had been given the title the king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. And Herod knew how power worked. 
He hitched his wagon to Julius Caesar until Caesar was assassinated and then convinced Mark Antony that he was on Antony's side. And then when Caesar Augustus overthrew Mark Antony, Herod said, well, I've really been your guy all along, Caesar Augustus. He was a snake who built huge buildings, including the temple, which had become controversial in Jesus' day because it was built on the backs of the peasants as they lost their land so that Herod could be Herod the Great. But with the news of her son's birth, Mary sings, God has ousted the rulers, lifted the humble, filled the hungry, dismissed the arrogant. In other words, God is reversing everything. Who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down, who the winners are, who the losers are. And friends, that's hope. Someone was once said that hope is the confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way I live. For both Moses and Mary sang as if the future had already come. You see, the song of Moses is followed by the song of a truer and better Moses. And just as the baby Moses was threatened, so Jesus was threatened by Pharaoh. And just as Israel fled for Egypt, the holy family would flee Herod for Egypt. And just as God called Israel out of Egypt, so too the holy family would return to the land of promise. For it is written, out of Egypt I have called my son. And that son would become a man. And he would go to John the Baptist seeking baptism. And John the Baptist would say, well, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus would say, let it be this way to fulfill all righteousness. And in going into the waters, Jesus was identifying with Israel of old. As Israel went through the waters, so Jesus went through the waters. And as, as Israel went through the wilderness, Jesus entered the wilderness to be tempted. And as Israel occupied the land of promise, so Jesus began preaching and teaching and performing signs and wonders, ushering in the kingdom of God. Whereas Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. He would win, and his ultimate win would be in saving us from the sea of our sin. For when we were helpless and powerless and unarmed and unable, Christ dove in and drowned for us. The prophet Isaiah says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, Jesus received the plagues for us. Pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When God drove back the seas for us, he drove nails into Jesus' hands and feet. He who was not weak became weak for us. He who was blameless was treated as guilty for us. Jesus died so that we could walk on dry ground. 
Israel was saved from Pharaoh. We're saved from hell. Israel was given Canaan. We're given heaven. Israel was promised another Moses, and we have seen that Moses. His name is Jesus, who in his death, burial, and resurrection, he wins. And then we sing. And that's why we gather. You know, somehow with everything I've said, church family, I can't help but wonder if someone is here who thinks, well, I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like I've gotten to my van. When am I going to get to my van? When am I going to get to sing? When am I going to get to shout? When's my ship going to come in? I understand that. But may I ask this question? Please hear me. If it doesn't happen in this life, can you make peace with that? Will you still love God and serve God and trust God? Church family, listen to me. From God's point of view, from his perspective, you are one word away. One word. One word divides Exodus 14 and Exodus 15. Just one word. And if Advent means anything, it means that we have to wait. We have to practice patience. It's so hard in American culture. Be encouraged through Moses' life. Hebrews 11, 25 and 26 says, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Listen to me. One day, you will sing. You will. God, God will not defraud us. He will not cheat us. His promises are sure. And I can tell you what song we're going to sing. Exodus 15 becomes Revelation 15. And you can hear that song even now if you go to that glorious chapter. The saints of old, those who through Christ have conquered the beast, that's evil, with harps in their hands. The Apostle John says, in Revelation chapter 15, verse 2, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. You see it in verse 3? And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations, nations, all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been 
revealed. Oh, just as Mary's soul magnified the Lord, just as Moses and Israel sang on the east side of the sea, from God's point of view, we're already on the east side of the sea. We already live there. Our physical bodies just haven't caught up yet. Advent reminds us that we live between the resurrection and the second coming. The first visitation and the final visitation. It's in that time zone. And it's the same time zone as the apostles. Think about that. We live in the same time zone as the apostles. The final days. Between two thens. Then Christ was born, lived, crucified, died, buried, resurrected, ascended. Then he will come again. And when he does, you know what we're going to do? Sing. Sing. We're going to sing the song for the songless. We're gonna, it's gonna be a dream for those who swore they'd never dream again. Because it's based on a promise for those who've been burned by broken promises. A promise made by God Himself. Church family, we're building our lives on the promises of God. Because his word is unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. We do not stand on the problems of life or the pain in life. We stand on the great and precious promises of God. He wins, then we sing. Amen.